Welcome. I'm Andra, and this is the How Do You Know podcast. In this show, we'll learn how to make better decisions and open up our view to everything that's possible. I interview great decision makers to discover how they built and improved their process along the years. I really hope you'll find it useful. Let's dig in. Today's guest is Adelina Chalmers. She is called the Geek Whisperer, and in the next hour, you'll find why she manages to get so many fantastic people around and to connect them, to help them get better, to help them understand why they do things. And and we talked about so many things for 60 plus minutes about asking meaningful questions to drive you to making better choices. We talked about leaders who don't have all the answers. We talked about what it's like to start from nothing and reach a level of incredible clarity and self-awareness. We also talked about finding home away from home and her experience with moving abroad and really finding that that feeling that she she's now found her place, the place that she belongs to but also about handling pressure and how you manage to avoid getting tunnel vision when making decisions. We also talked about what it means to be fit for purpose. Adelina shared so many insights and so many incredible stories, both personal and professional, that I'm sure you're going to be inspired and find it find them incredibly useful and incredibly human. And I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. So, Adalina, welcome to the How Do You Know podcast. It is wonderful to have you here. So thank you for accepting my invitation. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Adalina, you are uh, an incredible and very generous connector. And uh, when I read the things you write about your mission, it's clear that you know very well what you want your legacy to be. Um, you work in uh, promoting, implementing, and developing a culture of collaborative communication, as you mentioned, and you definitely help teams become a lot better at decision making. So I'd love to hear uh, more about your background, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here who wants that. Oh, um, gosh, well, how long is a piece of string? I, I started working with engineers uh, back in 2012. Um, I had a, actually a European program where we, we were helping um, startup companies that come out of Cambridge University understand how to pitch their business ideas to get investment from Cambridge Angels or other, other angel or venture capitalist investors um, around the world. And um, I've always had an affinity for engineers. I always got on really well with engineers. And I love technical people because they're very, very black and white, very clear. You usually know where you stand with them. And um, and that's where the, the, the geek whisperer comes from in the sense of lots of people called me the geek whisperer because I got on very well with engineers when most people couldn't. And um, one of the things that lots of people around the world don't know is that Cambridge University have a business launching arm called Cambridge Enterprise. And what Cambridge Enterprise does is they get uh, postdocs or other researchers within the university who are interested in transforming their lab research into a business. 
they get them to pitch to their internal investment fund or sometimes help them um, form partnerships with industry. Like, for example, they partner them with someone at Microsoft or someone at Unilever or somewhere else. And I, I was one of the people, part of that um, ecosystem, and I still am actually, but this is how it all started, uh, where I, because I had this funding available, I could offer the startups coming out of Cambridge University and other small businesses around Cambridge understand how to pitch themselves for investment or how to just pitch themselves so they can sell without being very sale, without being salesy. And... Uh, one of the that, that's kind of how we started, and I I actually worked for nine years in human rights uh, before I doing this work, and um, I, I my, my, I've always been passionate about making people's lives easier, and what I realized is that corporates have a much bigger impact on people's lives than governments or NGOs do. So because if you look at it, you know, any, any um, corporate that goes to India or Romania or wherever, and they open a massive office there and create lots of jobs, that company has a much bigger impact, direct impact on those people's lives than their own governments have so often. That is a very controversial. Sorry for interrupting, but I thought that that would yeah. be very interesting to pick up to pick up on because not many people would say that openly and uh, let's say uh, totally own it. <laughs> and I think that that is a very interesting opinion. And I'm really curious to hear a bit more about your background uh, before um, before joining this role and doing what you do now because uh, working to um to fight for people's rights is supremely interesting how how did you get to that point um oh gosh um i've always been very uh, <clears throat> supportive of people who couldn't <clears throat> necessarily defend themselves even when i was a child you know there was a, a disabled kid in our neighborhood I was the one who always tried to include him in our games or make sure he was kind of not, not discriminated against or separated from the rest of us. So I've always had this thing about making sure everybody is, 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 in, is in it, is included, everybody can contribute in some shape or form. And um, <clears throat> um, actually, you probably don't know this about my story, but uh, when I was... Um, when I was very young, I, I, I was born in Romania, and um, when I was about six years old, I used to say to my mother, um, I can't wait um, for me to grow up and move to um, another country so I can actually live my life. And my mom would be like, what are you talking about? Please don't tell this to the neighbors because we're going to get killed or we're going to be imprisoned for you talking about going abroad during communism because this is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I've always been very kind of open. So the chance I got when I was, um, when I was 21, um, I basically left um, Romania and went um, to the United Kingdom to work, go on a farm and pick raspberries. And uh, I picked raspberries for, gosh, about three months. And uh, I realized that, in, and I was going to go back because I was doing a, doing a law degree at the time. And what I realized was that I loved Britain. It just felt like home. I never felt anything like that in Romania. And I love this kind of 
openness and, and friendliness and just everybody was was thinking like I was thinking and I literally started from absolute zero I knew nobody here absolutely nobody and um, I went um, I met someone in the in in the library who um, very very kindly introduced me to someone else a lady this is a, a 65 year old lady who introduced me to her 65 year old neighbor who when I visited her, I met her son just by chance, and then he said to me, "Will you speak four languages? Maybe you'd be interested in working with us, recruiting um, software developers." So I worked with him for six months, and it was a lovely job. I, I I had this incredible opportunity to work with the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland, with Volkswagen in uh, Germany, um, um, with with quite a few um, other big companies, and um, it was an amazing experience. But I. I wanted to make a difference to people's lives and, and in my 21-year-old mind, I felt really bad that we were charging companies for placing software developers in their businesses because I felt we should just be able to give people jobs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I completely uh, didn't understand business at all at that stage. And uh, so then I found a job that in the paper that said that... Um, we're looking for someone to help the local communities integrate. And I thought, oh, that sounds like me. So um, so I applied for the job and I said, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant. Um, I speak four languages and I would love to help the other people that you're talking about integrate too because I've integrated. I have no Romanian friends. I only have British friends. So let's do it. And they, they really liked me. And uh, the, the, they offered me the job like immediately after the interview, I think. And I worked with them for a few years and then from that I I actually um, went higher and higher and higher in the human rights kind of equality and inclusion like kind of sphere of work for charities, NGOs and uh, non-governmental organizations uh, to the point where in my last job before I started my business I was actually representing the east of England I was the equality and diversity officer for the east of England covering UK and international affairs and I was advising, I was at the Equality Human Rights Commission in London advising on the Equality Act, but also I was one of the equality and human rights steering groups that advised Theresa May when he was equality, she was equality minister. Um, <clears throat> so it's very insightful, working to government so closely, thinking that making a big difference to people's lives. And actually, the more, because I was studying an international development degree at that point as well, the more I worked with governments and policy and charities, the more and more I realized that actually the direct impact I would ever see on, on people's lives would be working with companies, not with government. For me, the government side of work was so removed from what happens day to day that I, I was um, quite disillusion disillusioned by it. Wow, that is an absolutely amazing story. I, I didn't feel like interrupting because I thought that I would try into this amazing um, <laughs> unfolding of events. Uh, that is no. that is a, a, a truly humbling and, and, and fantastic background to hear about. And you definitely <laughs> know how things work in the real world. Because I know that that's... Many of us, maybe when you start out, we're idealistic about our uh, the job that we believe uh, we want, about the field that we believe we want to work in. And it's only, it feels to me that only when you reach kind of your 30s, you start to really understand where you can make a difference. And um, 
it, it, it is so wonderful to see that you owned up to every stage and you decided at these key points in your life what you want to do next. What was it like? To, what do you think the, the, first, the first big decision you made to me feels like it was moving um, to the UK, which definitely couldn't have been easy in any way. Were you scared of that? Were you, you, you definitely seemed like you were enthusiastic about it. But did anything scare you about that? Did, did you have a backup plan? How was uh, that decision made? Uh, I'm going to be very candid with you, and I will tell you uh, the absolute truth, which was that I never felt at home in Romania. For me, it just was not the place to be. It never felt home. It's always Sometimes people would ask me where I'm from, and I felt, I just never felt I fitted in. And um, for me, it was a question of I either kill myself because I'm not going to live in Romania or I try something else. So for me, there was no option other than, oh, hang on, there's a different world. You can try something else. So there was no, there was no, failure was not an option. And because of that, I had no way up, no way but up. You know, J.K. Rowling said um, the rock bottom was the foundation on which I built my success. It's the same thing. I had 80 pounds in my pocket when I came here. That is, thank you for being so honest and transparent about this. I, I don't know many people who who would uh, totally, uh, like I mentioned, uh, own, own up to their decisions like that and really <laughs> tell it like it is. And indeed, <laughs> one one of the best things about moving, and I've heard this about people, is that you find kind of your tribe, as Seth Godin says, and yeah. you can find your tribe anywhere in the world, and you can find it online, and you can connect with people with the same values that you have, and it changes your vision completely. It it alters the way you think, the way you uh, yeah. the way you choose from all the options you have. And that changes okay. your life's course uh, in, in a way that you don't expect at all. Okay. So uh, you've seen uh, the ins and outs uh, of, of working in, in um, government and state-owned institutions. And you've worked with huge companies and you've worked with startups and so many entities. In so many, in such, a, I think you're at the intersection of so many exciting and very, very complex things trying to align what the big guys want, what the small guys want, trying to help people grow, trying to uh, help bring innovation into these corporate contexts, which have so many layers on top of them. So how do you manage to bring people on the same page? I think that that, to me, is, is a very big challenge, and it involves a lot of uh, effort, both on the emotional side and on the rational side. So what what does it like a usual day look for you? Um, so what does a usual day work for me? <clears throat> I, I don't know if I have a usual day, um, but every day, as much as I can, I want to have one of these three elements. To speak to someone, to find out about them and explore uh, new possibilities, new ideas, new ways of thinking to help someone with a problem they have that perhaps sometimes they might not even realize it. 
So I will always have, try as much as I can, at least every day to have a meeting with someone new, a new person. That's why I know thousands of people. The other thing is I'll try to speak to someone I've met maybe once or twice and help them figure out the problem they have, which is what I was doing a couple of hours ago. And um, the other thing is I always try to also spend time to think about what have I learned from this I could apply next. I One of the things that I always love is improving myself. I, I don't mind people telling me harsh feedback because that's how you can improve. And looking back at my 21-year-old self, I'm, I'm going to be 30, 36 this year. It's been 15 years. Looking back at my 21-year-old self, I would have never become who I am today unless people that I met along the way gave me genuine, honest feedback and constructive feedback how I could be better. So my day is always about trying to meet new people, trying to solve other people a problem someone else has, but also learn how to be better myself. That is definitely, you can completely tell that that is your direction and that is your focus and the drive behind uh, behind all this. And the clarity uh, which you apply to reality, I think that is, that that's inspiring. That's something that I aspire to to build more and more. It seems like you know very well what you want and what you're trying to achieve. Um, how did you figure these things out? What did it take? What did you do on a personal level to to end up in this place where you know what your strong points are? You know how to make the most of them and and help so many people around you. Oh, that's a very good question um, and very difficult to answer. Um, a lot of people, I mean, I'm glad you said that because a lot of people say to me that I'm inspirational and that I know what I want, um, which is great. I'm glad it comes across because I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do know what I want. I always know what I want. And when I don't know what I want, I decide that my mission now is to find out what I want. And this is the key thing that most people don't do. Most people think that... Um, they, they kind of they, they go with what their instincts tell them. You know, they kind of go, oh, whatever, whatever's happening next. Oh, just on social media or something else, things come in and they just, oh, I'll take that, I'll take that, I won't take that. And often they miss miss opportunities. And it's because uh, so many people have asked, what do you want? That's the first thing I ask someone when I do a one-to-one -one session with them, when uh, when we work in corporate to try and help them work better with other people or influence their bosses or influence their bosses, bosses, boss. And I would say to them, what do you want this person to agree to do if you speak to them? And 99.99% of the thousands of people I've worked with in the last seven years don't know the answer to that question. And I think the reason they don't know the answer to that question is because they literally haven't sat down to think about it. But if, but also when you when you realize you don't know what you want, then the question becomes: Okay, so what I have to do is research what I want. But most people take that for granted. They just think, "Oh, I'll just know. I'll know what I want." But clearly, you don't, because I've just asked you the question. You don't know how to answer it. So whenever I discover, I always ask myself, what do I want to happen as a result of doing this? Why, what, why, do I, why do I want to do this? Like with you, when you asked me to do this podcast, why would I say yes? 
And the reason I said yes is because I love the idea of what you're doing. I love the fact that, you know, you're here to spread idea, good ideas and help people understand and learn from others. And that's why I said yes. I love podcasts. I love sharing ideas with no agenda, no background, no, no ag hidden agenda, no manipulation agenda. It's just, I just want to share how I succeeded, what made me do well. And that's, that's one of the key things I do is I always try to ask myself, what do I want? And the moment I don't have the answer to that, I research what I want. I do as many things as I can and go, oh, I didn't like that, so I'm not doing that. But I do like that, so I'm going to keep, keep doing that. This is incredibly nice of you to say, and, and thank you again. And like I mentioned, your your energy comes uh, comes across definitely so much, so well. Um, I wanted to, to, to ask, so asking why, super important. Um, what's more, I think that there are several key questions that maybe you ask uh, the teams you work with or the decision makers you worked with. What other questions besides why, besides why do you use to, to get them to make decisions? So, um, so one of one of the things often people decide they want to influence their boss to do something. That's one of the things that I, I see a lot. So I work one to one with engineers, and the engineer says to me, "I want to influence our CTO." I, I know actually the words they use are, "I want to convince our VP of engineering or our CTO to do this." And I say, "Okay, why do you want them to do that?" And they go, well, because I want to. But why do you want them to do that? So the first, the first key question is absolutely always why, and understanding your motivation for doing it. Understand what, why do you want them to do this, and what do you want them to do? So what does success look like? If you have had, imagine we're traveling in time right now, and you've had the meeting to that, with that manager, what do you want them to agree to do? What are they doing next? Are they going out there sending an email to the rest of the team saying how awesome you are? Are they signing on a, on a project that you want to propose them to do, which is uh, to uh, allow you to set up a new branch of the company in the United States? What is it specifically and measurably that you, what, that you want them to do? Because when people pitch, often they're not very clear about that. They expect the person they're pitching to to come meet them halfway and guess what they should be doing in response to what they've just said. Um, and the other question I, I ask them is, what do you think they want? What do you think this person you're speaking to wants? And again, 99.9% of people have no idea what the person they're talking to wants, what their priorities are, or why they would say yes. And when I say to them, why would this person say yes? They often don't know the answer to that question. Do you see them reacting in a certain way when you ask them these questions? Because they're, they're the type of questions that kind of uh, break your pace and kind of take you out of your comfort, definitely take you out of your comfort zone and make you look, make you think about things that you, you were kind of, many people go on autopilot because so they have so many things going on. And when you drop a question like this, it, it, it takes them back a few steps and, and, and they have to kind of figure out what's going on. So what kind of reactions do you see around you and in these type of situations? 
Um, people call my sessions with them because I, I always create a, a sense of a friendship at the beginning and of safety. And I always say to them, these sessions are confidential. So I'm not going to tell them what they've told me. I'm not going to tell anyone else what they've told me. And these sessions are, I'm just there to help them achieve something they want. So I'm going to challenge them with questions, but I'm also there to help them with my questions or with potential answers. So people know I'm on their side. Uh, they're often surprised. They often have a freeze reaction. And they usually leave the sessions saying they felt inspired or they felt the session was insightful, it was incisive, cutting right to the core of what it is that they're trying to do. Um, and that's, that's the kind of the sort of reactions that I get from people when I, I run a, a, a session. That's, I would love to be a fly on the wall and not to get any type of secrets, but just to see this dynamic in action. Because I think that these are really important points in our lives when we can learn from these experiences, change our mindset a bit and use these questions to drive us to better decisions, to, to a better way of doing things, of thinking about things, to, to truly making an impact and not just sticking to the surface and just rehashing the usual, uh, I don't know, the customary uh, details or, or approaches that we each have in our own industries. So I think you're doing a very, very powerful thing and you're, you're the type of person that transforms the people around them. And, and this is one of the reasons I, I wanted so badly to, to talk to you. Um, and this is just, this conversation is proof that it, it was even a lot more than, than I expected. Um, Thank you. Getting back to, to, to our, uh, our topic here. So you definitely help people, you, you coach them to making better decisions and you help them kind of avoid redundancy and friction and confusion, uh, which are often challenges that we deal with when we're trying to make decisions as a team. And I've seen this from my own experience and working, being part of a team lead, trying to lead a team and being a young manager and trying to figure things out and how, how to do them right. Um, so how do you think, uh, let's say, managers, uh, leaders can, can empower people in their teams to, um, to make more decisions, to, be, to own more their decisions, to, to have ownership and, and enjoy this, uh, this challenge? Because it's, it's not easy and not everyone's built for it, maybe. Uh, maybe you, you have a different opinion. But I'm really curious how how you've seen people kind of nudge uh, their their colleagues uh, into this direction. So one of the key mistakes that leaders make is that they think they should have all the answers. And they also think that um, they, they're the people who can come up with the best idea. Those sorts of leaders are not um, successful leaders. They are leaders who are quite limited by that because one mind will never be better than seven or 10 or 50 or 30. And um, one of the problems is that when leaders or managers want to um, work with their teams and come up to a decision, the problem is that they don't explain to the rest of the team, team in clear terms what problem are they trying to solve. What limitation does this problem have? So saying to someone, 
Uh, I'm going to give you an example. Say to someone, uh, let's say, um, uh, our sales are down. The limitation is that we only have 10 people in our sales team. We don't have any more. We don't have a budget for traveling uh, abroad. What ideas do you guys have for us to raise our sales in the next year or quarter, considering these limitations? We can't fly about. We can't spend money on a new website. We can't do this. Considering these limitations, what do you think we could do? And then see what ideas people come up with. But normally leaders go, um, yeah, often they don't even mention the sales are down. They just go, from now on, you have to do this. And everybody, and from now on, everybody has to go and put 10 posts on social media every week. And people go, where's that coming from? Why do we have to do that? How on earth did you come up with that idea? And um, the way you help people take ownership of these decisions is by asking them their opinion as well and taking that into account when a final decision is made and explaining to them why this final decision was made the way it was made. Not just saying, this is what we're going to do and everybody's confused and wondering why on earth we're doing this and how you came up with this. Yes, clarity, extremely important, extremely underrated, I think. And uh, I think that although um, I, I see more and more leaders and more people taking step into this direction of, of leading, of empowering people around, of building people up, uh, because there's so much potential out there and so much willingness to do, but just some people need guidance. I've I've been in the same spot, uh, and I've I've had that guidance, and it's really made an impact for me. Trying to do the same for people around me, um, and that does make a huge difference when when you don't know you, when you don't have the full context. And someone helps you understand what you don't see and kind of uh, figure out your blind spots as well. I think that that's, that's where the magic happens. And I'm glad that you mentioned pressure because pressure is something that we all deal with, especially when making decisions. I, I think that it often happens that pressure pushes us into decisions that we're not fully aware of. We haven't considered whose consequences we haven't fully considered. So I'm really curious to... Um, to see how you handle pressure in decision making and how you help others do the same it depends on where that pressure comes from uh, often because i have autonomy and i run my own business there's no one else putting pressure on me rather other than myself so i'm one of the probably few lucky people in the world that i don't have pressure put on me by someone else it's only the pressure that I put on myself. So often you have to really figure out where is this pressure coming from? Because sometimes if you have pressure from your bosses, then that's a different thing. And you have to decide what is it that makes, find out as well, what is it that makes them put pressure on you? What is it that they're actually trying to achieve? Because there is always a priority or a bottom line somewhere but for some reason, that's actually missed in communication. So people are, are under pressure, but they don't know why. Or they don't know the real reason why. So no matter how hard they work, they can never hit and resolve the reason why they're under pressure. Because it's a moving target. So it's really important to understand where does this pressure come from? And what is the smallest thing that I could do 
that will have the biggest impact on where this pressure is coming from. For me, that's that's how I I I, I try to help other people to deal with pressure as well. Uh, is to understand where this pressure is coming from. Your your boss asked you to deliver this product by this time. Okay, what does deliver look like? What is it that he actually needs to demo to the customer next week? Is it that actually the customer has to be able to see this green button on the screen and press it and just see how that would look like? Or is it that the customer needs to see just a demo, doesn't have to work, just a demo of how, how, what journey the customer will be going on when the product is finalized in six months' time? It's In terms of, of dealing with pressure, I think um, the other thing that I always ask myself is, will someone die if I don't do this now? If, if, someone, if the answer is no, then I always kind of ask myself, is it really worth my mental health stressing myself over this right now? And the answer 99.9% of the time is no. Absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I think that we, we should ask ourselves uh, that question a lot more often, as, as, uh, as slightly grim as it may seem, but it's very realistic. Um, and yes, uh, I've, I, I should actually follow my own advice here because I often tend to overwork myself um, and try to handle everything that I think is burning at the same time. And uh, if I take two steps back, I realize that, okay, this not everything needs to get solved today because their prioritizing is still something that I, I'm personally dealing with and getting better at. And I have several friends who who kind of struggle with the same challenge. And uh, I really hope it does get easier because we get better at it in the long run. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned customers and one thing that I think startups have a difficult time dealing with is also because I've seen this in the teams that I've worked with and uh, the startups that I've, I've seen grow in time is handling feedback. Handling feedback and trying to uh, validate your assumptions regarding, I don't know, a decision related to how the product should look like or what the product should do or uh, anything related to the customer's experience on the website or in an email or anything else related to that matter. So in your opinion, um, how can you clarify this feedback or how can you organize it and not get hung up on what a single person said, let's say in a bad review that makes you uh, want to change the entire product because I've, I've, I've also seen the situation in which the CEO sees feedback and he comes and like, we got to stop everything you're doing. We got to fix this because someone is upset about it. Um, so how, how do you decide, how do you actually get the buy-in um, to do the right thing in a situation like this? Okay, so I'm really delighted you asked this question because um, I've, I've noticed this a lot. Um, the problem with constructive or negative feedback is this. Humans get a biological fight, flight, or freeze reaction from negative feedback. And the reason for that is because we're biologically wired to seek acceptance. Because in caveman times, if we weren't accepted by the tribe and we were perceived as bad and we were excluded from the tribe, then 
we died because you couldn't survive without the tribe. You couldn't feed yourself. You couldn't have safety. So we are hardwired to look at negative feedback and have a very primal response to it. And this is why when a manager has the sort of reaction you were telling me, I know they're in the fight reaction. They're basically saying, this has just happened. Okay, we have to fight it. And the way we fight it is by changing everything right now or stopping everything right now. And... Um, when, when that happens, uh, you can never make um, logical business-making sense decisions, business-wise decisions, because you're, you're, you're in, a in a biologically driven state. You're not in a logical state. The logical part of the brain, the neocortex, takes huge amounts of energy to process information, and it's usually very slow comparing to the uh, survival part of the brain, which creates fight, flight, or freeze. So when, when that happens, I always say to people, stop and take a, a few days to chill and try to look at this objectively. Where is it coming from? Is this your target audience? Is this the um, sort of, is this the ideal customer saying it? And is it loads of customers or is it just the one? Is what context exactly were they in when they experienced this? Most people are scared when someone gives them negative feedback, they're scared to become curious about that negative feedback where it comes from. Because most people don't like to hear bad things about their product or about them, their team or about themselves. But actually, this is counterintuitive because if we indeed become genuinely curious and interested about the background, the context, and the reasons behind that negative feedback, we often discover either this person is not the ideal customer, so we don't need to do anything about it. We discover there's a tiny step that they took sideways, and that's got, got them on the wrong path, and that's why the product didn't work for them. Or we discover that... Uh, yes, there are a few things that we need to change, and we haven't identified our customers' priorities to begin with. But all of these are put, uh, fantastic things because they can only help you become better and better and better. But most people can't take that sort of feedback. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that um, it's helped me immensely. Is I always say to people, I want honest feedback. Tell me what's wrong. I will decide then what to do with it, but I want your opinion about it. And I know this is just your opinion. And I know that so few people are brave enough to, to, to share this type of feedback, even close friends. It's difficult okay. to have close friends that will tell you the truth to your face and will tell you when you've gone off the beaten path, <laughs> like a way yes. off, um, yes. and tell you like, "Hey, come back here. You're not doing this. You're you're not uh, not not that you're not doing this as people do it in general, but you're you're doing something that may hurt you or the the people around you." So yes, yes to to everything you said earlier, and I think that this is so important. And I actually have a quick book to suggest here. I think I've mentioned it in uh, in previous episodes as well. It's called "Thanks for the Feedback." Um, I discovered it as part of the ELT MBA, uh, the program that I was telling you about earlier, and it is incredibly, incredibly valuable at helping you really, it, it's very practical, and it gives you a lot of insight on how to handle feedback, how to give feedback in personal situations and professional situations, how to make it constructive, how to 
uh, differentiate between evaluation um, and um, uh, let's say like personal feedback and not take everything personally. To me, it's made a big difference. Uh, I actually, a couple of my friends have read the book as well and they've, they've confirmed that it, it's helped them too. So I just wanted to mention this in there and I'll, I'll definitely link to it in the show notes, in the episode notes so people can, um, and, and if you have any other resources that are, are tied to this, I think that there are many people who will listen to this episode who will want to dive into more so if you add um, if you want to add any other resources uh please feel free to do so but the, the chimp paradox the mind management program uh by dr professor steve peters his uh, his book is um, a key key document that I use in in all of my communication training because it explains why people have these biological reactions to communication in corporates and that's why I think engineers like my training because it's based on on neuroscience. Yes, data driven. Um programs are i'm really glad they're starting to catch on a lot and a lot more because while i think emotions is important and understanding our emotions and our mental biases extremely relevant uh teaching ourselves to be a bit more objective helps us see reality closer to what it is and not to what we think of it and i think that this this uh, these personal perspectives sometimes distort the actual state of things a lot and they, they completely throw us, of course, and uh, push us into rash de- decisions, which is um, which don't really often turn out well. <laughs> let's uh, let's call it that. Um, I wanted to ask a bit of more of a personal question. Do you have a big decision that you regret, um, and and why? Yeah. <clears throat> a big decision that I regret. Um... I don't. I don't think I do, to be honest, um, because I. Uh, so you know when they say that you regret the things you didn't do rather than the things you did do. Mm-hmm. And um, I. I don't regret. Far, you know, nothing comes to mind anyway. Um, I don't regret um, anything uh, really because it's just taught me and helped me become who I am today. And I and I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really, um, I don't think that I have any um, particular decisions that I made that I think, oh, that was so stupid. Um, it's all, it's all been actually at the end uh, an excellent, excellent thing. I mean, the only decision I suppose would be the fact that I took some medication uh, that was meant to help me with something, and without realizing, a side effect was depression. And I, if I hadn't taken that medication, I wouldn't have had three, four years of depression and, and, and feeling suicidal for so many years and gaining 48 kilograms in weight from that. Uh, but even that has actually helped me understand depression much more because I used to always hear about depression but never understood what it was. I always thought, oh, surely if you go out for a walk and spend a bit more time in nature, you'll get over depression. So even that, actually, yes, it was four four years of very, very difficult times. Uh, but actually, in the end, I think it, was, it, it helped me become who I am. 
you're a truly resilient and then fantastic person to to say the to say this and to to look at things this way because struggling with depression is something that's a, a lot a lot more difficult than than i don't know people who've never been in the situation of who never realized they're in the situation uh can imagine and also it it does i having struggling with something definitely makes uh, many people well uh, or well some people stronger i i don't want to generalize um and i think that yes not not having a privileged life from the start helps build character as i don't know as conservative and as that may sound uh i i do believe in that but uh yeah definitely that's there if if there were a way that we could uh could could avoid this this uh, very difficult time uh, time in our lives i think that um a lot of people would need more more help in understanding what's going on with depression and you know really uh trying to push through it and and having the means and the support necessary to push through it uh, I, i've been there myself um and um I, i'm i'm sorry you had to go through that but at the same time i admire your perspective and your your courage and that resilience that you built as a result thank you um and i i see many great qualities in you and as a great decision maker you have the calm and the objectivity that you need but you also have a lot of empathy and you you create a huge uh wave of energy around you that's not overwhelming but that's actually energizing um what are some other key qualities you've observed in great decision makers around you because i imagine that you um you gathered around you people who share, share the same values and uh you definitely must have uh wonderfully interesting conversations with them um <clears throat> Are the qualities of great decision makers, um, and I don't, I don't consider myself necessarily a great decision maker, but I, I certainly do do my best to try and be logical at the time of making a decision, and that's really really important. Um, the ability to step back and asking yourself, do you have to make a decision right now? Because if you take a little bit more time. It gives your brain the power to engage the logical part of the brain rather than the survival part of the brain. And that's why you've probably seen, you know, old sales tactics, you know, when they say, buy now, buy now, or a limited time offer. These are designed that way because they know that if you'd had a bit longer, you would cool off. And I don't know if you have this in Romania, but in the UK, I think there's a 14-day cooling off period. People decide they want that mobile phone and they sign up to their mobile phone contract which you was going to keep them in that contract for two years. And then two, ten, five days later, they decide that they don't want, actually don't have the money for that two-year contract. But by now it's too late. And that's why in the UK we have this legislation called the cooling off period. For two weeks, you in two weeks, you're always allowed, and you, companies have to remind you of this, that you're always allowed to go back and return the phone and stop the contract. 
That's very interesting to hear. I never heard about it. And I would very much like to get to know the person who managed to push that legislation through. <laughs> I Google it up because I remember when I, I mean, I don't have uh, mobile phone contracts anymore, but I remember 10 years ago when I did, um, they always had to read, they reminded me on the phone that you have 14 days to change your mind. You have 14 days to change your mind. And they always say that because they have to legally say it, not because <laughs> they want to. And um, and that that's that's you know the, you just people made the decision in the moment that oh you know oh this phone is so great it has so many apps and la 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 and then they discovered actually they don't need all those fifty thousand apps and they don't need it to start flying around the moon with it you know they just need something that will answer calls and maybe take a few pictures and um, when when great decision makers understand and take into account the fit for purpose-ness of making this decision. Do you even have to make a decision? Sometimes you don't even have to make a decision. You think you have to, but sometimes you don't because it sorts itself out by waiting a, a bit longer. Uh, and that's I've seen that in life so many times. And I'm a person of action. Waiting is, is really, really difficult for me. Oh, I can imagine. I, I can imagine. And indeed, like, let things sort uh, sort out by themselves. It's so difficult to do when you, you just want to get in there and kind of help push things along and uh, clear the air and get, uh, get things going, basically, <laughs> a lot faster than they would normally. But sometimes you just have to have patience with yourself uh, a lot of times and with others. Yeah. Again, an underrated skill. Uh, I think that we need a lot more of that. Uh, practicing uh, this this mindful approach is uh, is definitely helpful. So um, uh, yeah, let's let's hope that more people get in on um, on on practicing this thing because it's it's great that we talk about so many things. But that is why I find it so valuable and so inspiring to talk to people like you who walk the talk who practice these things, who not only talk about it, because there are so many books on these topics, but when you get to talk to people and see how they apply them and they realize how they they shape their own perceptions, how they strip away their mental biases and fight against all these uh, biological uh, c conditioning, um, I think that that's when, when you get really inspired to act and to do your own thing and, and make your own way and try to to build your perspective and your your mind in a certain to to react in a certain way uh i am rambling a bit so i would like to 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 get back to you and uh make the most of of um the last minutes of our conversation um when when do you think is the best time to make a decision? You talked about a lot about stepping back. If you think about, I don't know, some of the latest and most important decisions that you've made, maybe personally or professionally, uh, what would be the best time and what would be the worst time to, to make a decision? The best time, I think, if you can, is after you've had a chance to objectively look whether this decision is fit for purpose or not. So the best time is when you've had a chance to engage your logical brain in it 
and that means taking a bit of time and sleeping over it. You know, you've heard of it, sleep on it. That, that's, that's a real, that's a, um, if you have the luxury of time, sleeping on it is absolutely fantastic because overnight your brain processes things in such a way that you wake up so often with a different way of looking at it and you realize you don't have to make a decision or you make a decision in a completely different way. The worst time, I think, is when, I think is when you're under pressure, when you're asked to make a decision now, 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 and you don't take everything into account, and you're going for tunnel vision, because that's what you get when you're under pressure, that's how the brain copes with pressure, and you then, at that point, um, nine out of ten times, you're not going to get the right decision um, in, in place, because you can't, you don't have all the facts, and you rush it. And when you rush it, it's it's never a great idea. I often um, act on things really, really quickly, and sometimes that's absolutely great, but it's because my past experience tells me this is the right thing to do. So I have had actually the chance and time to take everything into account. Um, but making a decision without taking all the factors in and doing a lot of research, or at least enough research, I often find is usually a, a, a not a great decision at all. Uh, let's let's hope to uh, to doing doing a lot more of this. Um, are there any resources you'd like to recommend besides the book that you already mentioned that I'm going to to link to in um, this episode notes? Do you have any other books? or, I don't know, lectures or TED Talks or other resources that, that you believe are, are meaningful and helpful for people looking to understand more uh, of, of, let's say, your perspective on things and becoming a bit more objective and working their way to better choices? Other than the book I mentioned, um, I'm trying to think if there's... Um, Another way, if, if it's about making better choices, for me, understanding yourself um, is, is absolutely crucial in order to make uh, better choices. So, all the, I mean, all the Seth Godin books, in my opinion, are absolutely fantastic. I particularly uh, loved the one about uh, the linchpin and the tribes. Um, and um, there's, a, there's another book in terms of when, when, you, when you make a decision and you need other people to help you with that decision, um, there's, a, there's a book called, um, I think by Oren Plath, which is called uh, Pitch Anything. And that, that's quite an interesting book as well um, that I think um, would, would help people with... Um, with even making the decision of okay what am i going to communicate with with, with others um and beyond that i can't um think of anything um right now i mean the the team yeah beyond beyond that i can't think of anything else um right at this moment I think that that's plenty enough to start with because once you start reading and you see the other recommendations in the book, you somehow end up with an unending list of books and resources that you want to get through. <laughs> so you start uh, sleeping less and reading more, which uh, in my opinion is not really bad math. Unless you have to make a decision, so <laughs> you you should definitely set some time aside from sleeping on it. Um 
it, it has been wonderful talking to you, Adelina. And I would love to get some, if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to add to wrap up this episode that's so packed with energy, which I, I cannot wait to share. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I would like to say is that I would I'd hope and I would, I would love to see more people in the world becoming aware of their own value and understanding that if they believe they can do something, they absolutely can. Their, your mind runs the show and it dictates absolutely everything. Um, I was told by several people that because I am fat, I cannot work with corporate companies. This is a true story. And if I had chosen to believe that, then I would have not have worked with corporates and I wouldn't have had the sort of customers I have. But because I don't, I didn't believe what was sold to me and I, and I realized that, that that was those people's limitation, not mine, I, I just carried on. And I would hope that everyone, you decide every single day who you are. Please remember the next decision you make could completely change your life if you decide that you deserve a good life. Wow, absolutely fantastic. Adelina, thank you for being so inspiring and so just just a wonderful, wonderful person to to talk to and learn from. You've you've made it this was like one of the best hours I have ever spent talking to someone. So thank you for making that happen. And I'm not even I'm not blowing things up. This is exactly how it is and exactly how I feel. Uh, thank you so much for that. Tell me if people want to get in touch with you and follow you, where should they do that? What what channel works the best for you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn quite a lot. So just Googling or LinkedIn searching Adelina Chalmers um, works or geekwhisperer.co.uk is my website. Um, my contact details are on there as well. Um, but LinkedIn is, is a place where I'm, I am on every single day. And um, if anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, absolutely welcome those sorts of connections. There's lots of practical articles that I put on LinkedIn about how to run meetings, about how to talk to others, about how to c convince managers and bosses. Um, so there's loads of free resources on LinkedIn. I very much enjoyed reading them and I'll link to every single one of them in the show notes because I think that they're incredibly useful and the way you write them and pack so much power in so few words totally reminds me of Seth and his approach. Uh, so we'll definitely share those. Again, thank you so, so much for the past hour, for all these incredible nuggets of wisdom and for the power and drive behind every word that you shared here and for your transparency and honesty. And I I can only hope that we have more people like you in, in our communities, in our lives and in the world because you truly make a difference. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. I feel the same about you. Thank you. I'm absolutely delighted you invited me. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. You can find links to all the resources we mentioned in the show notes. If you have feedback, please share it in a review on iTunes or any other podcast app you're using. I want to understand how to make the show better and more useful for everyone involved. You can always reach me on my blog or on Twitter. You can also subscribe to the weekly email I send. 
It comes packed with great resources focused on, what else, decision-making. Don't be a stranger, and thanks again for listening.